second Corinthians. Yeah. What did you just read? <laughs> I read Philippians 3, 12, 11 through 16. Was I, was I off? <laughs> uh, either, that, either that or I'm off. <laughs> Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Okay, Chris. <laughs> We're having a good time today. And I'm glad. It's, it's, a, it's a holiday weekend. And when people would ask me this past week, uh, what are you going to do for the 4th of July? I would respond, I'm going to Redondo Beach to preach a sermon. <laughs> and that would evoke a questioning look, and uh, even I have wondered about it. But when a retired preacher gets as old as I am, prospects for preaching uh, get rather rare. In fact, when Amy called me, she started the conversation by saying, um, Ed, are you still preaching? <laughs> hey, I preached my first sermon 70 years ago. Let that sink in a little bit. <laughs> it's trying, uh, I'm trying to have it sink in with me. <laughs> and that could lead to two potential responses. Number one, well enough already. <laughs> Or number two, and I like this one a little better, and never pass up a chance. I thought about that. The singer-songwriter David Crosby was recently asked, because there was a documentary about his life coming out, and so he was being interviewed, why are you still writing and producing songs after 55 years? And he bluntly responded, because... Soon I'm going to die, and I've got a lot of music in my head. That sums it up. Well, so here we are, mainly because Amy said, the people of Riviera are wonderful, and you should meet them. So I came. <laughs> and even though Simi Valley and Redondo Beach are not in the in the same neighborhood. We are distant neighbors. It's good to be here. Speaking of distance, I've got an even better story of, of my preaching for Amy. Would you believe that I once traveled 
6,000 miles to preach for Amy? I better explain that one. After I had agreed to come to her church in Knollwood, just a few miles down the road from Simi Valley, that was September 2000, the same time as the Olympics were held in Sydney, Australia. And after I'd agreed to come preach for her, I got a chance to go to the Olympics. But I didn't have the heart to tell Amy what I was doing. Okay, I'll still go back and preach for her. <laughs> it was a grand two-week party, one that I reluctantly left on Saturday, flew for 15 hours, writing my sermon on the plane, and preached for her the next morning. When I announced to the congregation that I had come 6,000 miles to be with them, someone in the choir shouted, Thank you! (laughs) Never heard that before or since. Well, enough reminiscing. Or is it? You get as old as I am, that's about one's main focus in life. Reminiscing. Martina and I do a lot of it. That's my wife sitting, uh, the the, the really good-looking one there. And that's saying... (laughs) And that's saying something, looking at that row of uh, ladies there. Wow. (laughs) We've been married 62 years. And uh, we do a lot of remembering and reflecting. Just ask her how we met 65 years ago, and she'll regale you with how she trapped a future preacher on an all-night ride with a busload of students going to a conference. You want to come up and tell that story, Tina? (laughs) We do a lot of reflecting and remembering, and today you're going to get a sermon full of it. And from that context, I have a little trouble with our scripture passage, the one I read. Uh, Chris, the one you read, I would really have trouble with. (laughs) It's when Paul in that passage says, forgetting what lies behind. Brothers and sisters, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on. I wish Paul had not said forgetting. Couldn't he have said grateful or remembering or reflecting on what lies behind? I think that he would agree that that's okay because he did a lot of remembering and reflecting in his letters to all the churches. So, we're making that change today, remembering and reflecting. From the springboard of memory, we do press on towards the high calling of God. Isn't that what we've been doing this weekend? 
remembering and celebrating the 243rd anniversary of the signing of the Declaration of Independence, celebrating that most famous line, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This particular anniversary is especially sobering one for all of us. We've seen how elusive is that pursuit of happiness. And it has not been equally distributed. Yet we live in a country filled with beauty and wonder, promise and possibility. Beauty is everywhere, in the land and in the sea, in its diverse people, in its institutions and traditions. Would that we could find our way forward to the goal of the high calling dreamed of by our forebears. Sometimes I wonder if Thomas Jefferson had been studying our first passage, that one from Ecclesiastes, about the times of our lives, how it all flows into this great thing called life. I think Ecclesiastes could have been part of his reference material in drafting the Declaration. But it goes on to make this passage, we usually focus on all the various times of our life. But did you catch some of the meaning in that last section where the author is summing up what he means? It's a profound statement of life itself. How the Creator has given such a wondrous gift. Verse 13 is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Moreover, it is God's gift that, uh, Chris, you emphasized that all should eat and drink. Now, I think the emphasis is on the word all. It is God's gift that all should eat and drink, and all should find pleasure in their toil we find these truths to be self-evident. And for nearly 250 years, two and a half centuries, this nation, this people, has been trying to determine just how do we implement that dream, that struggle. And it is severely intense today. even in our beloved United Methodist Church. But may we find these truths to be self-evident. In the nearly seven 
decades that I have been in this business, there have been no lack of challenges for the Methodist Church. I think how at annual conference every year we begin by singing, and are we yet alive? Those of you who have been to annual conference, you know how we sing that. Verse 3, what troubles have we seen? What mighty conflicts past? Fightings without and fears within since we assembled last? Uh, that's been the 70 years, as I can recall it. What a history for both the church and the nation. I said I was going to do a lot of reflecting today. My preaching has changed a lot the older I get. A lot of remembering. A year ago, I went back to my seminary. Candler School of Theology, Emory University, Atlanta, Georgia. I think your pastor went to that seminary many, many years after I had left it. <laughs> well, this was my 60th anniversary to go back. They dressed me up in a golden robe and put a medallion around my neck and gave me a seat of honor on the first row and then uh, gave me special recognition as a graduate who had made a contribution to the civil rights movement and struggle. I stood there, turned around and faced those applauding graduating preachers and had a and thought how, how young they look and how different they look. So many of them were women. My class had all been men. And they're all different colors and hues, descriptions. My class had been lily white. But also tears came to my eyes as I flashed back over those 60 years and as I wondered what the future would hold for them. And that thought never didn't stop. After I left that sanctuary and the service was over, my mind still was back recounting the years, thinking about that young graduate 60 years ago who went back to Mississippi. I was from Mississippi. That's where I began my preaching, became a part of that annual conference, had a church assigned to me coming back from seminary with a fresh dream of the kingdom of God in my heart. Oh, was I in for a rude awakening? Mm. It was a tough time to be a progressive preacher in Mississippi in the late 50s and early 60s. Say the wrong thing and there were no second chances. We could sing, All to Jesus I Surrender, except for my prejudices. The social implications of Jesus' teachings were largely ignored. We didn't see that the Christ was not just a figure found in our hymns and in our rituals, but was found in the world. Christ was found in every act of love, 
of repentance, of change, where life is turned towards peace and harmony. The Mississippi of the 60s was a scary place, a seething cauldron, a ticking time bomb. Forces of change were cracking the fortress of segregation, and the siege mentality among the whites was palpable. Change in life usually comes at a terrible price. We know that. And that was the case in my home state. Mississippi was a bastion of defiance, a very fearful place for blacks and for any whites who challenged the status quo. Then came the Freedom Riders, brave young blacks and whites sitting together on interstate buses after being bombed and beaten in uh, Alabama, they came again, this time under federal marshal's protection, right down Highway 80 through my little town of Hickory, Mississippi, on their way to be arrested and jailed in Jackson. I stood beside the roadway as they passed, saying a prayer for them, for my state, for me. I didn't have the, the courage to be a freedom rider. No. But I did know that my time was coming, that somewhere down that long road to freedom, I too would be called on and called to go. That call was inevitable. Short time later, it came. In September 1962, with a court order in hand, Air Force veteran James Meredith, a black person from Mississippi, entered the University of Mississippi, and the fires of hell erupted. People were killed many more injured in the riots that engulfed the campus. The state was in chaos. The entire school system of Mississippi was threatened to be closed rather than segregate, rather than integrate. Madness reigned in the streets and in the halls of government. Defiance ruled the state, unified and monolithic. And don't you dare say otherwise. The Lord said, it's time. A different public voice must speak. So a group of rather naive, no, we weren't naive. A group of young Methodist ministers, 28 of us, published a statement in the, in the press opposing the closing of the schools and affirming the brotherhood of God's children, black and white. We called it born of conviction, and it was. 
It was our conviction that life had to change and to grow and to move on, to move on down that road toward the city of God where all citizens could have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Our statement hit the papers on New Year's Day, 1963. What a year that became. You have ruined our church, cried my members. And they wanted me gone immediately, or they would be. I should say that was a part of the congregation. Luckily, it was not quite 50%. I got to stay till conference. It was a hard road for all of us. Change is a hard road. But though the way was difficult, he would have hurt more if we had been ignored, laughed at, and forgotten. We had made a stand, and it was remembered. Though in the scheme of things, it was just a tiny hinge. But tiny hinges together can open mighty doors. We signers, those of us who were still alive, were invited back to Mississippi to the annual conference on the 50th anniversary of the signing of that document, Born of Conviction. Now we were called heroes. In the civil rights movement. My, how times had changed. I was invited back to my old church that wanted to throw me out to preach for the homecoming. And one of my most vocal critics took me aside during the fellowship time and said, Ed, I'm sorry, we were wrong. Thanks, Liz. Times have changed. True. But as Bob Dylan would sing, the times they still are in need of changing. You know, this kind of road to the city of God has no end. As long as we are alive and have ears to hear, the siren call of God will lead us into God's future. There are still many struggles in the strife of truth with darkness. And praise God, there will be willing people to take a stand for justice, for freedom, for fairness and equality of opportunity, and for the pursuit of happiness. Yes, for the loving of one's neighbor as oneself. Is that road for you? Is that call one that you are willing to hear? If so, you just might hear that voice saying, 
follow thou me. And oh, won't there be many wonderful surprises. That's the end of my sermon, but I have an addendum. (laughs) First time I've ever put an addendum on a sermon. But after I finished it last night, I looked back at the title, and you people were wondering, where did that title come from? This is my addendum. Because as often happens, a sermon goes off in a different direction from where you... I had to send my sermon titled to the church here because of the holiday weekend way in advance. And by the time I got it, the sermon finished, uh, that sermon title wasn't in it. Here it is. Within this past year, my brother died, and he stays in my mind. And I remember the last meaningful moment with him before the disease of Alzheimer's took him down that ever-darkening tunnel. He lives back in the South. I went back to see him. We met at a restaurant for lunch, he having been brought there by one of his sons. Conversation was hard. The visit was deep inside painful. As it approached time to go, I wondered, how will I say goodbye to my brother? What would be our final words? I could not just say, see you later. Nor could I say, take care of yourself. Or even, it's been great. What do I say? At the end, these two old codgers, who had shared many a mighty moment, stood and faced each other. I caught his eye and uttered, Brother, it's been quite a ride. He held my my eyes and in a raspy voice repeated, It's been quite a ride.